have some fun. I wish I would have worn my shorts today. So you have permission to wear shorts to church because I know I'm going to be sweating in just a little bit. But is that okay if we wear shorts in church? Hey, Jesus had long hair, a beard, and wore sandals, right? He wore a dress in most people's mind, but it was called a robe. You know what I'm saying? We can love Jesus in shorts in church, amen? Come as you are. Come as you are. Just don't come making somebody stumble, okay? So some of you guys with your tank tops, don't put on the baby oil before you come glistening. That's another time and another place, okay? And ladies, you know what I'm saying? Don't be coming wearing them tight booty shorts making your brothers stumble. Y'all get quiet when I talk like that. You know what I'm talking about, ladies. Come on. Come on. We got we to gotta guard each other up in here, amen? All right, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. We had a good 4th of July, if anybody was wondering, just chilling in my backyard. I uh, had some fun with my neighbors. Let me just say this. Inviting people over for a barbecue is one of the easiest ways to share Jesus with them. So does anybody here like to eat and barbecue? Invite somebody to your house this summer that doesn't know Jesus. Man, just invite them and share the love of God with them. So anyways, I had my neighbor there, and uh, my parents are in town again. They're just having a great time with us. And we just kept sharing testimonies with them. So they're from a Catholic background. And then I said, Dad, share with them how you uh, became a Christian. My dad shared his testimony. And then Monique was there, and I'm like, Monique, share with them how you became a Christian, you know? And he's like, like, Joe, I get the point. And I'm like, but it's cool. I'm going to keep having them share their testimonies with you. And then, uh, but no, he was, he actually did well. Don't you think, Mom, he received it? They were very interested, the husband and wife. I, and then uh, I had my Greek uh, father-in-law who came out of Greek Orthodox share his testimony. And then literally I shared my testimony, four stories, right? That's what they heard over the barbecue. It's better than talking about sports. It's better than talking about beer, you know, what beer you like, you know. Nothing wrong with sports and beer, but, hey, it's better to talk about Jesus. So let me tell you about Jesus. Look at your neighbor and say, let me tell you about Jesus. Now tell them one good thing Jesus has done in your life. Come on, tell your neighbor. Come on, do this, do it. Look at your neighbor and tell them one good thing Jesus has done in your life. I want to see some participation because if you can't do it now, if you, if you can't tell him now one good thing about Jesus, you'll never be able to do it at a barbecue. Go ahead. Jesus has been nice to me. Jesus is my friend. Isn't it cool talking about Jesus? I'm going to put up something really sad right now. I got to do it. I don't know when I was going to do it. Put up my Facebook post, please. 82 shootings over the weekend thus far. 15 people are dead. See, it has a purpose, doesn't it? Telling people about Jesus has a purpose. Life groups have a purpose. Evangelism has a purpose. The reason why we go out on the streets nine times a week in this church, all those life groups that you see make opportunities to invite others publicly on the streets. The Goiveas, they go out around their neighborhood. Same thing with the walkers. I want you to see this article that just came up here today. Some of you have not even seen it. Scroll down for us, please. This article right here, and I said, need I say more? This is why the church has to be the church from ABC. 82 shot. 15 killed over the weekend. How many think we should just pray for Chicago? Vinny, come back to the keyboard. Let's just pray for Chicago right now. God, my heart is so grieved when I think about what's going on in our city. When I think about the deaths that are happening, the shootings, 82 people's lives were affected, and all the countless family members that are affected, the children, the moms, the dads, the neighborhoods. And so, Lord, we ask for your forgiveness. First and foremost, we ask you for the church to be forgiven. Adam, just come on the guitar. Somebody on an instrument, please. We ask for the forgiveness of the church, for not doing our job, for not reaching out, for not resisting the temptation to make it all about us. We ask for your forgiveness. Lord, we also want to ask for the forgiveness, God, of our politicians, the corruption, the evil God. From the high school uh, principals, God, to the mayor, to just people in, in, in community service that don't care about their jobs, who don't take it serious, we repent. And now, Lord, we ask you to use us. All of us here know that this can happen in our neighborhood. Some of it might have happened in your neighborhood. I've already seen some Facebook posts happened in somebody's neighborhood last uh, Friday. 
Let us pray right now for our neighbors. Let us pray for our friends and family at the, at the job. Lord, we ask for your help. Bring safety, bring peace. I was just having fun teaching everyone about inviting to life groups, inviting to barbecues, and then, Lord, I was instantly struck in my heart to stop and do this because it has a purpose. It's serious. If we don't tell them, they're not going to hear. And, Lord, we want to make a stand in this city. We're not just going to be a church that stands and, uh, you know, sits in our four walls and talks about it all the time. We're going to get out and do it. We're going to get out and do it. Our street team was on Belmont and Clark yesterday, reaching out to the homosexual community because we're not just going to post up little sassy posts on Facebook. We're going to go out and love on the gay community. We're going to prove it by our actions. You said in the book of James, don't just love with your, uh, your words. Prove it with your actions. Faith without deeds is dead. We're not just going to talk about loving the west side. Every Wednesday we pick up between 15 to 20 kids from the west side. Would you pray for the west side right now, congregation? Last Wednesday, just four or five days ago, you know how many children were in here? 50 children were here, not including adults, 65 with adults. Most of those children came from the west side, if not half or more. Pray for the west side right now. Pray for troubled neighborhoods. God, we need you. Use us to reach out and resist. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. If you love Jesus, give him a hand clap. Come on, that's why we come to church. Amen. I mean, I want to be led by the Lord. There's no order of service once I grab the mic. Amen. It's, it's, it's what God is saying. And you can't look at that and not feel like you need to pray. So seriously, life group's fun, but it's our duty. Barbecues, fun. But he said, invite those who cannot repay you to those barbecues. Invite the cripple, the lame, the poor, the outcast. Amen? Okay, let's go. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. I need to keep on preaching because I can feel you guys are a little tired from your little weekend parties. But you all came today. Look at your neighbor and say, you're the real Christians. Come on, you're the real ones. The other ones are sleeping in. Or maybe they're coming to second service. See, I can't be so sassy now anymore. There's a second, like, Pastor, I was just coming to second service. Look at it. First, uh, look at this. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For it is by grace. Everybody say grace. Thank you. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the what? The gift of God. A free gift given to you, to me. What you do with it is up to you. Not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork. Everybody say workmanship. Everybody say masterpiece. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. If you've noticed this whole month, every time we read this scripture, I try to give you some nuggets from the verse that you didn't hear before. So every week I want to add to the understanding of this verse. And if you put all these introductions just together, you would hear probably 12 different explanations of this one passage. Isn't that a rich passage? Isn't that awesome? And here's something that I want you to see. You are God's handiwork, his masterpiece, created in righteousness. Righteousness. This idea that you're no longer perfect needs to go out the, out the window into the trash. When you are born again, you are perfected in Christ. You stand not in your own perfection, but in the perfection of Christ. Now, I'm going to get a little personal here. Everybody say, get personal. Okay, so if this bothers some of you, this is okay. Jared, give them your Facebook and email. You can contact Pastor Jared if this offends you. But I want you to understand this. I was raised in a very Wesleyan, Armenian background of theology. Now, many of you may not understand what that means. But what that means is we followed the way of John Wesley and how he taught the sanctification of the believer. That once the believer was saved, he was wholly saved. There were no parts of him left unsaved. Therefore, he wouldn't be called a new creation. But since he is called a new creation, he really is a new creation. As I've given the example here before, it's not like once you get saved, God then puts you into his workmen, uh, into his workshop to start whittling you a thing called salvation, whittling in you a thing called being born again. That is not the handiwork of God because that has already been completed in the prior verse where it says you have been saved, past tense. Your Pinocchio body has already been formed by that master craftsman. Who was the, put up a Pinocchio picture with the guy who whittled him. Who was the guy who whittled Pinocchio? What was his name? Pistachio? 
Geppetto. Geppetto. All right. Geppetto made Pinocchio. And at some point, he said, here's Pinocchio. He's done. He's completed. In Christ, you are complete. You are saved. Salvation is not a process of being saved. Like, oh, I, I'm not saved today, uh, and then I come to Christ, and now I'm being saved. And, uh, you know, you look at the meter like on your, your computer. Here we go. This, this is not God whittling on you every day of your life. Check this out. This is not what it's saying. You are saved. You are born again, a new creation. How many believe those scriptures? Let's just go through it quickly. How many believe you're born again? Are you being born again? Like every day, are you just popping out a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more? Or are you born again? Happen. Born again. Are you saved, rescued out of the, the muck and the mire, put upon solid ground? Or are you still being saved? Are you half muddy, half dirty? Is Jesus doing a tug of war with you and your sin? Or are you saved? Are you a new creation? Or, or is Jesus just whittling on you every day? A new creation. Don't be scared. What are you? 2 Corinthians 5.17, therefore, if any man is in Christ Jesus, they are presently what? A new creation. Presently, all things have passed away. Behold, presently, all things are new. Two people know the verse. Now let's go to the Bible, 2 Corinthians 5.17. It's going to be a long day. Y'all ain't helping me. Y'all better help me preach up in here. It's going to be a long, long time. It's going to be a long day. You are saved. Somebody say, I'm saved. You are perfected in Christ. John Wesley brought this out. Why? Because of Calvinism. In his day, the churches had become dry. They had become burnt over. The preachers of that day bought hook, line, and sinker into an idea of predestination that God chooses whom he will save and whom he will damn. And they're those he is saving. They're part sinner and part saint. Don't take my word for it. It comes from Martin Luther and John Calvin's words himself. I was sitting in my doctoral class in Trinity, and we were starting our class on culture, and they played a Jesus video. And I don't even mean that in a mocking way. That's what he calls himself, and I don't think I'm being uh, sacrilegious either because Jesus is stupidity. It's not Jesus, right? But they played a Kanye West video. If you don't know who Jesus is, it's his self-identification as him being an idiot, okay? Kanye West is an idiot. He, look up idiot, you find Kanye West, okay? It's okay, idiots get saved because I was once one too, okay? How many used to be dumb before you were saved? Just you know you were dumb. So he's dumb. He needs to get saved. By the way, my friend did his wedding. Which Wilkerson did him and, and uh, Kim's wedding in, my, in Miami. Um, he's from Miami, but they did it out there in where they, Rome, right? Anyways, I kind of keep up with the Kardashians every now and then. I'm embarrassed. I keep up with them every now and then. Just every now and then. Anyways, where are we going with this? Calvinism. And so what began to happen was I was in this class, and they said, hey, we're going to listen to a Kanye West video, and then we want you to describe it. And this is uh, his uh, compilation, I believe, with um, Sean Combs in um, There's No Church in the Wild. Jay-Z, thank you. Come on, baby. Help me out here. No Church in the Wild. Now, just put, wrap your mind around this. I'm in a doctoral class listening to Jay-Z. That's how we're starting this off. God have mercy on some professors. But I guess he had a point because his point was let's see how crazy the world is and how are we going to react to it and be smart and not just uh, be wise but not just be head smart. Wisdom is application of knowledge. We don't just head knowledge. We want wisdom, the application, right? And what blew me away is that one of these minded people, Calvinist-minded people were in the class, and she goes, because they were talking about snorting cocaine off of naked women's bodies. They were talking about having menage a trois and orgies and all types of stuff. And uh, I'm just sitting there appalled that I'm even having to listen to this because I'm just like, this is stupidity. I don't want to listen to this. Church in the wild, church is sin, whatever this, this video was about, that's what I came out of. You know what I'm saying? Not to that extreme, but, you know, I don't need to go back to that. And so they asked us what they think, what we think about it. I'm like, he's in sin. He needs to get born again or he's going to hell. That's what I think. And then one of the ladies who comes from this background, she goes, well, let's not be so quick to judge. Let's not be so quick because inside of all of us is a sinner and a saint. Inside of all of us is a bad person and a good person. And like Martin Luther said, we are all sinners and saints. And she quoted in Latin Martin Luther 
his words. Not Martin Luther King. That's who he was named after, Junior. But this is Martin Luther of the Reformation. And I looked at her, and I needed clarification. I looked at her, and I said, what exactly are you saying you're like this? Like, like what are you doing on the weekends? You know? And then she said, well, you know, I have my own sins, and it may not be the same sins as him, but I have my own sins, and, and, and I'm a sinner. And I said, well, when the Bible, go there quickly with me, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. I said, when the Bible calls us Christian saints, it says we're new creations. When it says we've been born again, when it says we're the righteousness of God, what do you think about that? She goes, well, that's only one part of me. And I said, so is there a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde going on in the inside of you? And she said, well, that's not the way I look at it. And I go, how do you look at it? And she goes, well, we all get tempted. We all deal with stuff. And this is the way I feel that I can understand why I sin. And I've seen my friends, and I want to be honest with you here, I've seen some of my friends go down this road of Calvinism. And the way it starts so often is you're dealing with sin and you can't get free. Brother Anthony, my spiritual father, said it this way. Everyone in sin becomes a Calvinist. Now, you may have friends that didn't become that way. Please, I may be taking cheap shots, but this is our church, and this is Sunday, and this is how we preach it here, baby, all right? The people that I know, the people that my spiritual father professor knows who love this doctrine of Calvinism are the very ones who love the struggle of their sin. Don't tell me that I am important. I'm perfect in Christ. Don't tell me I'm the righteousness of Christ because that doesn't give me my permission to keep sinning, repenting, sinning, and repenting. Because in Calvinism, the idea is God plucks some to be saved, leaves others to be damned, and those who are being saved can no more live holy, no more live holy than the damned can live righteous. He just moves them like water, and he directs their hearts, and in the good Lord's time, because this is very popular where I came from in the South, in the African-American church, oh, in the good Lord's time, he'll remove this bottle from me. When the good Lord is ready, I'll stop doing these things because I'm just the clay and he's just the potter. And whenever he's done and he's whittled that alcoholism out of me, whenever he's whittled out of me that perversion, that cheating heart, oh, and the good Lord does it. Then I'll really be changed. That's not true. That's not how the Bible talks to us. They love the Ephesians chapter 2 passage and they'll show you it's all grace, it's all grace. But you see, my friend, you have a cheap grace. Because your grace doesn't transform you. You haven't been saved, made a handiwork, a masterpiece of God to do good works. You see, when Paul addresses us in all of his letters, he doesn't address us as jacked up sinners. He doesn't, he doesn't address us as that. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you. Who is he talking to? Holy people. Now, at this point, there is another ditch. So we just can't pick on the Calvinists because the Pentecostals have been guilty of this and they didn't understand Wesley's teaching. So I ask you all to go back and read his original writings called the Perfection, um, Christian Perfection. Read John Wesley's letter to his church, Christian Perfection. Don't let them misquote him. But this is what Wesley began to teach as I'm teaching here. But people began to take it to another level, which was, well, for perfect in Christ. That must mean if we ever sin, we must lose our salvation. And so every time I sin, I have to be born again, again and again and again. Because now if God's not predestining me and kind of forcing me on this way to heaven, if I'm having this decision to make, and if I keep falling from perfection, one sin, Adam and Eve fell from perfection. See, that's how they took it. And then I fall from perfection, and that means every time I sin, I have to be born again. So every time the preacher comes and tells a story, every time the altar call goes, I better come up and get saved again because I'm not right with God. I'm afraid I'm going to lose my salvation like I lost my keys this morning. Salvation is so fickle. It's another ditch. And then to guard themselves from going off that ditch, the Pentecostals begin to draw out legalism. Well, don't you cut your hair. It could be vanity, ladies. Grow it out and look, look weird. Uh, don't wear modern clothes. Dress like the Amish. And we were just around the Amish. I was around the Amish. They're great people, but they smell because they don't believe in deodorant and cologne. It's all vanity. 
Hello, they don't have electricity. Do you want to go to the ninth, the ninth degree? Let's all live in a bunker somewhere. So they start legalism. And then they start doing things that Christ didn't even do. Like before you know it, in the Pentecostal church, you can't grow a beard, have long hair, or wear sandals in church. And like I told you, Jesus had long hair, a beard, and wore sandals. If Jesus' dress code doesn't fit your church's model, we're in trouble. And then we get caught up on little things like alcohol. God forbid you drink alcohol. Well, what do you think Jesus made at the wedding? He wasn't making grape juice. He was making wine. Now, when have you ever been at a wedding and somebody comes out with six barrels of grape juice and people get happy? Let's not be dumb when we read the Bible. Let's be honest. What were they making? They were making wine. Who gets happy about grape juice? I know I don't. My three-year-old does. And then if you didn't get the point towards the end, the master of the ceremony says, this is better than what you brought out before. I never knew there were different gradients of grape juice, but there's different gradients of wine. And Jesus comes eating and drinking with sinners. So where is that middle road? It's found here in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. I love my Calvinist friends. But God is not a God who leaves you half saved and has to will you only by his grace to make you saved. God's grace works with the free will of man and his choices. Grace does not make Jesus a divine rapist, a stalker, or a kidnapper. Jesus offers us all salvation. And it's a choice to receive grace. It is a gift, is it not? Go back to the notes, please, because it's summarized. Uh, the passage is there. It says, for it is by grace you have been. Okay, so am I saved or lost? Am I a sinner or a saint? Am I new or am I old? That's where I'm at. How did it happen? By my own good works? By shouting at the altar? By coming to the Pentecostal church and not cutting my hair? By following all these rules? How was I saved? By grace through what? Faith. Was it of myself? It was the gift of God. How does faith come from God? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The gift of faith is a gift that God gives us by the preaching of the gospel. That's why he says, who will preach this gospel? Who will go out and share it to the world? How beautiful, hallelujah, are the feet that go and preach that gospel. Because it's giving the gift of faith to the world. Now to my point. Somebody say that was the intro to the intro. It says, for by God's grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, lest no one should boast. For we are God's handiwork, past tense, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which Christ has given us in advance to do. So how is God working on us while we're doing good works? Is it the Pinocchio scenario? No, it's not. Think of it rather like this. God created you perfect when you were born again. And now he is teaching you how to walk in perfection. He said, be ye perfect, for your Father in heaven is perfect. He said, be holy, for I am holy. So you are in Christ the righteousness of God. Are you listening? Now you must let... Your attitude be like Christ. You must let your attitude be like Christ. That's a good work. How many think having a good attitude is a good work? Hey. How many want to see some good attitudes in Chicago today? That's a good work. You were created, past tense, to do the work. You were created, past tense, to do the work. So now imagine we're now in my backyard, and we're going to assemble this water slide that stands almost 20 feet tall that I have just bought from my neighbors that blows up really big. we got to get Grace come back. Come on. It blows up really big. The water fountains come down. Don't hate. Celebrate. i got a good deal on this thing. And it's awesome, okay? It is a perfect water slide. For the manufacturer's design, it is perfect. It has the stairs. It has the slide. It has the little water thing. You can squirt people as they're coming down. That's what Lucas loved to do yesterday, squirting them all as they came down. It has the perfect hose to go to the air blower. The air blower pushes enough air to make it work perfectly. This in of itself is perfect to its design. Don't get into this idea that nobody is perfect with uh, other than God. God created you perfect in Christ. God created you that way. So, yes, you're, you're saying a half-truth when no one's perfect without Christ. That's right, until Christ works on you and makes you perfect. Like, let's put it this way. Nobody has gold but Jesus. But if Jesus gives you some gold, do you have gold now? Is it of yourself? 
Where did you get it from? You gave it, gave it, uh, got it from Jesus. Now let me just show you this in the Bible because I know a lot of you guys want to see this. This is a, a whole other topic. We talked about your identity in Christ. I want you to turn with me in your Bible quickly to Hebrews, perfected forever. Everybody say I'm perfected forever in Christ because God has made you in him without a flaw, without a blemish. Hebrews 10, 14. When you see yourself this way, you can obey the commands. And I'm going to get back to this example, but I want you to see the scripture first. Look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14. If you're there, say I'm there. For by one sacrifice, he has made you jacked up forever until you get to heaven. For by one sacrifice, he has made. How are you made right now? For how long? Those who are being what? Made holy. That's the application of your perfection. Right there, come on. Right there. You all, somebody got it, right? What is holiness? Holiness is the working out of my inward perfection. Am I saved or am I not saved? Just ask yourself that every single time you doubt who you are. Are you saved or are you not saved? Are you a new creation or are you not? Which one are you? It's either or. And the Bible says Christians are saints. You have been made perfect on the inside of you. Now you must live holy. You must. You choose to live holy. So please go back to this example of the water slide. Put up one of these water slides. It may be one similar to what I have, please, so we can just see this. You now, as God's workmanship, have been created to do good works. You're assembling that water slide. So it works in your life. You're assembling that right attitude. You're not perfect in the all-knowing sense. You don't know everything. You're still growing. You're not perfect in the sense where you're free from mistakes. You still make mistakes. That's why you repent. 1 John 2, 1 says, I write this to you that no one sins. But if anyone does sin, we have a righteous advocate, our propitiation, Jesus, who's, our, uh, who's not only the propitiation for our sins, the sacrifice for our sins, but of the whole world. Come on, somebody say amen. And so the idea is in perfection, you're walking out and living out holiness. And when you don't do it, that's when you repent and say, I'm sorry. But the default mode, what is this? What is this? This is like some death trap somewhere in Costa Rica where you have to, like, sign off, be like, if I die on this thing, I won't sue you. Can you go to an inflatable water slide? Like, that's not what I have in my backyard. That's not what we're doing for fun. It kind of leaves the screen there. My message is real short today, so hang in here with me because this will help you through the message. The idea, it's so awesome. Everybody get this in their mind. The idea is I am perfected in Christ so that I can work on the things in my life he's given me to work on in holiness. I've been given the tools I need to set. There we go. That is, that's exact, dude, that is exactly it. That, is that not exactly? Where's my wife? I'm looking at you like dark hair right there, wife. Sorry. There you are. That is it. That's what Lucas was doing. That was Lucas spraying the people coming down. That's awesome. Okay, that is it. And listen to me. All the families with kids here this summer, you got me on Facebook. Come, come, come to our house. You are invited. Amen? Come. Just bring something good to eat. You're good. You're free to come, but just bring something good to eat. No, I'm kidding. Half kid. Half kid. So anyways, we look at this. I'm God's handiwork. Okay, so he... He has completed a work in me, but I'm still doing works that he gave me to do in advance. And while I'm doing those works in advance, there may be things in me that I outwardly see change. So God is working on me. But to go to that Pinocchio example, God is not working on me to give me an eye or give me an ear. What he's doing is creating me as Pinocchio, and then now he's working on me to do the right things. And when I don't do the right things, he says, don't do that. Don't talk to your wife like that. Don't talk to your kids like that. I have good works for you to do. Does everybody get that? Amen. Let's go to our message now. Grace. How many know the definition of grace? Amen. We'll just go past that then. You already know it. Go to Titus chapter 2, verse 11. Titus chapter 2, verse 11. We're going to see here that grace is a person. Everybody say grace is a person. 
Now, this is what will blow your mind. Grace without Christ is meaningless. If the world did not have God as its foundation for moral truth, truths would not exist. The world has truth because God exists. Truth is rooted and grounded in God. If you can't believe that, then just step back and ask yourself a question. Where did truth come from if it didn't come from God? Sometimes people say it came from human evolution. We do these things because of human evolution. Well, then it would not be true. It would simply be convenient. If it's convenient for us now to live in villages and not murder each other, that's not true. It's just convenient. If we're animals, biologically evolving our own morality. Are you with me? Because there then could come a time where eating your neighbor would become the better thing if we all get hungry and there's not enough crops, right? So what makes something true, no matter who you are, where you're at, any time in history, what makes it true is it's God's grounding of it that makes it true. That's the principle of God being the source of truth. Now, it's the same principle of God being the source of life. Where does life come from? Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. We could talk about way later, but let's just talk about truth and life. Truth is grounded in Jesus. Life is grounded in Jesus. All life comes from Jesus. So if I say, where does life come from? Uh, to I was talking to a friend from Laos at Wright College last Monday. We go to Wright College every Monday. Join us there. Our times change. We're going to be there from uh, 11 to 1 this Monday, tomorrow. I met her. She's from Laos. She's Buddhist, but she has evolutionary leanings. And I said to her, well, where does life come from? She said, the big bang what's my question back to her who banged it and what banged see evolution doesn't make any sense without a first cause well life came from this thing that came from that thing that came from this thing that came from this thing well show me nothing that produces something let's just reduce it down to the simplest thing so you want to show me I came from an ape-like ancestor that came from like a, you know, an animal to a, a, you know, amphibian to a fish to a this to a that. Well, show me somewhere down the line where nothing creates something to get those things moving. It can't happen, right? So God is the source of truth. God is the source of life. And he is the way, watch this, I have a great book for everybody here, How to Turn on Your Brain by Dr. Leaf. She is a Christian neuroscientist that has used her education to show the brain activity, especially among us as Christians. When we talk about renewing the mind, this is not just some metaphorical thing we do as Christians. We literally develop our mind. That is why Christians among the world's history have, some, have been some of the most brilliant people and the happiest people. Happiness is a good thing. I'm not talking about life always going the way you want it. I'm talking about having joy in the midst of sorrow and recovering for, uh, faster in, in your cancer treatment, recovering faster from the death of someone that you love. I had my neighbor look at me yesterday and said, your mom is so well put together, so full of life and vigor for having lost a daughter in her life. See, he has gone through life and has probably met people who have lost their children and has seen them scarred emotionally. And one of the things that stuck out to him was how healthy and whole my mom was because she had received God's renewing of the mind. So watch this. The mind of Christ is in us, transforming our actual brain. This is what I'm getting to. She has a wonderful book on this. And so when I'm talking to you about Jesus being truth and Jesus being life and Jesus being grace, and you begin to believe this and you verbalize out loud, or if you say in sign language, amen, you are opening up the receptors of your brain to receive this information as a positive memory replacing toxic thoughts you once used to have. It is literally renewing you when you understand concepts, not just here, but anywhere. That memory of the first time you saw your daughter, that is a beautiful memory. 
The first time you went to a funeral, that probably has some toxicity to it. You have to be renewed, and you have to focus on that which is good. This is how the Bible teaches us to discern good from evil, and it's healthy for us. And so when we look at grace, grace is a concept we need to put our mind around. Forgiving our enemies is healthy for us physically as well. Bitterness is actually bad for you. Being an overachiever to the point where you're never good enough, uh, seeking of work, uh, uh, going after workaholic, being a workaholic, um, uh, being always a perfectionist, not forgiving and loving yourself, you're damaging yourself with what is called stress. You know what stress is? Stress is not giving yourself a break. It's not being gracious to yourself. Stress is a major cause of work-related sicknesses. If you see somebody sick from their job, most of the time they say close to 80% missing work is because of stress. Because of their body and mind not being in line, they have weakened their immune system and have become more apt to colds, more apt to the flu, and they're literally setting themselves up for failure. We need grace. Everybody say grace. Here's the Bible. Are you ready for the Bible? For the grace, Titus chapter 2, verse 11. If you're there, say, I'm there. Here it is. For the grace of God has what? Appeared that offers salvation to how many people? All people. And it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to say yes to self-controlled behavior, upright and godly lives, and to live these lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed, our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Who is our great God? Who is our great Savior? This is one of the best deity scriptures for Jesus in the Bible. Show this to your Jehovah Witness friend. This is so powerful. He is not only just our Savior in a prophet form. He is our Savior in deity. Our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's who we're waiting for. Who gave himself up for us to redeem us from how much wickedness? All wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own. Eager to do what's good. Come on, Jesus. Come on, Gloria Dios. Fuego. Booyah, devil. Grace appeared. Grace came down in the form of Jesus. When you look at the notes of this passage, it's a simple sermon. Without Christ coming, grace never would have appeared. The attribute of grace that speaks to us, the it that tells us to say no to ungodliness is the same kind of personification language of wisdom in the book of Solomon. Wisdom cries aloud and raises her voices to all the simple ones and says, leave your simple paths and come to me, right? And eat of my good knowledge and instruction. This is the same kind of language when it says grace appeared and it has told us to say no to ungodliness. Grace is found in the person of Jesus and the it, the attribute, comes through Jesus' words. Love is a thing, but love is also a person. God is love. Truth is a thing, but it's also a person. Jesus said he's truth. Are you with me? The way of eternal life is a thing, the gospel, but it's also a person. Jesus is the way. And grace is also a thing that we give each other emotionally and spiritually, but it's also a person, the person of Jesus Christ. Look with me in this, this introduction. How many are ready for the message now? The Bible declares in 1 John 4, 8 that God is love. Therefore, all the attributes of love find their roots in him. Where do all the attributes of love come from? God. Accordingly, grace is an attribute of love. Did you know that? Grace is an attribute of what? Of love, according to Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, 5, because he writes, love keeps no records of. So if love keeps no records of wrongs, what does love have to have? Grace. Isn't that awesome? Then you look to first uh, to John. Turn there quickly with me to John 1.17. I want you to see it in your Bible. Highlight it, please. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through who? Jesus Christ. Somebody say grace is a person. We need to renew our minds in this today. 
God gave us grace through Jesus. And now Jesus wants me to live his kind of life. Do I have grace to continue in my sin? What is the purpose of grace? To live the perfect life of God. To live the holy life of God. Ask yourself this question and be serious if you don't think perfection is your aim in life. How many times do you want to sin before you realize sin is not for you? Have you sinned enough yet? Because when I talk like this, it's not legalism. I'm not saying to you, stop sinning, then you become perfected. I'm saying like a dirty water bottle has been cleansed and sealed in purification. That is your salvation. And now I'm saying to you, how many more times do you want to put sin into your bottle and ask God to purify you? Maybe you've been a part of a church before that always told you you're never going to be clean and pure. But that is a devil's lie. Titus has said you have been purified from all wickedness. You are pure in Christ. So let me ask you, pure saints of God, not legalistically, not what length are you going to cut your hair or what color clothes are you going to wear because the Amish can only wear black, blue, and, re uh, black, blue and white. Whether or not you can have electricity, listen to secular music, or dance at a wedding, because the Assemblies of God didn't even let their ministers dance at my one friend's wedding, so he couldn't have it in the church. Like, what did you think Jewish people did at weddings, my friend? Like, just go to a Jewish wedding today and see what they do. What do Jewish people do at weddings? And what do they do with the grape juice? They have wine, they drink it. What was Jesus doing? Hanging out at a wedding. What are you going to at the marriage supper of the Lamb? A wedding feast. Okay, let's not be legalistic and turn the Bible upside down. I'm not saying you have to drink. I'm not saying you have to dance. But let's stop saying that this is Christ-like when we're forgetting that he went to weddings, okay? I'm just beating up on that concept, not on people, because I'm so tired of the ditches. I'm so tired of people telling me I can be a sinner and a saint and then another one telling me that I'm never good enough. Both of those are devil's lies. I've been purified and I've been set free and it's for life and freedom that Jesus set us free. He said, I came to give you life, not bondage. Amen. So think of this, my friends. We were dirty water bottles, we, uh, water. We were in the sewage plant of this world on our way to hell. Jesus Christ purified us from all wickedness and made us holy. And now the question I want to ask you is, how much more sin do you want to sin before you know that sin is not for you? I know sin's not for me. Though I may do it, I repent, but that's the real reason of repentance. I'm saying I don't want to do this. It's not forgive me so I can keep doing it. It's dear God, I'm, I'm better than this. I wasn't made for anger. I was made for peace. Anger destroys your emotions and your body. You know what I'm talking about. How many of you have met some relatives at barbecues? They look like they're 80 years old, but they're only 50 because they've lived a harsh and bitter life. You weren't made for anger. You were made for love and forgiveness. How much more sin do you want to sin until you say, I'm done with sin? Let us all say, I'm done with sin. I'm done with it. Should I do it? I know there's grace for me, but it's my heart. That's pure. And it's my heart that wants to remain pure. Purify me, O oh God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Give it back to me, God, if I've lost it. Renew it in me. If you've been to different times in your life and you've lost that passion for God, ask God to renew it back in you. Amen? But look at this, John 1.17. If you're there, say I'm there. For the law, the judgments of God, came through Moses. Well, don't do this, don't do that, or this dies. Don't do this, don't do that, or we're killing this animal. Don't do this or don't do that, or I'm going to destroy all of you. That's the seriousness of God. But Jesus comes in not opposition to that, but in fulfillment to that. I'll take your wrath upon me. That's what Jesus is doing. I'll be lifted up and draw all men to me. The Bible says he's the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So we begin to realize that the very fact that there was a, a sacrificial system was because God knew in his foreknowledge he would come and be the ultimate sacrifice. So no longer am I under God's judgment. What am I under now? Grace and truth. Grace is in Jesus. Truth is in Jesus. And the grace says I'm no longer a sinner. And the truth keeps me in the grace of God. 
Grace and truth are not 50-50 battling with each other. I'm going to give you truth now. Grace is over. You're ugly. No, if we start talking like that as Christians, we've lost the heart of God. If you hear somebody say, enough grace, here comes judgment, you better say, hey, I don't want that. Grace is always true, and God's truth is always full of grace. When Jesus went into the temple and said, my father's house should be a house of prayer, and you all made it a den of thieves, and he kicked them out, that was grace. That's what grace looks like. Those little tags I've been putting on Facebook, maybe pay attention to them instead of the little cute cat videos every now and then. Amen. Listen to what grace is saying throughout the Bible. God is speaking to us about his, his nature. You struggle with being a hypocrite in church? Grace says to you, get the junk out. You struggle with condemnation and you always judge yourself. Grace says you're already forgiven. Stop doubting yourself. You struggle with loving people. Grace says love yourself first and loving people as yourself will come naturally. Because your lack of love towards others is just a lack of love towards yourself. That's what grace says. Grace has a voice and it's the voice of Christ. Look at the Bible and look at Christ speaking. Look at what he's doing. Grace says to a person, judgment's not here. I forgive you. I don't condemn you, but go and sin no more to the adulterous woman. He doesn't say go on and keep sinning. He says go and sin what? No more. How many more times did he want her to go uh, be a prostitute? How many more times? How many more times, gentlemen, should you go look at pornography? No more. Well, what if I do, Pastor? What if I do? Am I going to hell? No, there's grace. But do you want to change? How much more of the pig slop do you want? How much more of it do you want? Come on, let's be honest. How many more bitter times of your life do you want? Jesus says we can be set free of it. Let's not go into our own jail cell, lock the door, and say, well, I'll just stay in here for a little bit until I learn my lesson. How many have learned enough already of what sin has to teach you? Sin brings death, causes us to fall short from the glory of God. How many want to start walking along the paths of righteousness? God said he'll lead us on them for his namesake. It's up to him to lead you for his namesake so that you will reflect his image. Thank you for shutting off the light and reminding me I need to keep moving. Point number two. The Bible says that grace comes. What does it do? It offers salvation to all people. How many people? How many people is Jesus offering salvation to? All people. And then what does grace teach us? It teaches us two things. Say no to ungodliness. Everybody say, "Uh uh-uh. Say, devil, I ain't hanging out with you. (laughs) Oh, no, no, no. I'm done with the devil. No ungodliness. No, we're not hanging out today. And then it says, we're supposed to live. How are we supposed to live? Self-controlled, upright, godly lives. Would he ask you to do something you couldn't do? Here, this is what God says you need to do to go to heaven. You need to become a professional rodeo star, ride on a wild bull for five minutes. Like, well, how many people would be going to heaven? Like three of us? Oh, about three of us would be going to heaven. Okay, here's how you get to heaven. You imagine that you can fly. And then you jump off a building, and if you can fly with your own hands, you're going to heaven. If you die, you're going to hell. Do you think God asks us to do stupid and moronic things like that? When God says to us, you can live a self-controlled life, that means anything today out of control, God expects you through him inside of you to be under control. I submit my diet to Christ. I get it under control. Amen? I submit my sexual desires to Christ. Get it under control. I submit the words that I speak to Christ. Get it under control. I have already been given salvation. I've already been made more than a conqueror. I have already been given the power for the hour of my need. I have already got Christ inside of me, which allows me and makes me to do all good things. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Strengthens me to do what? Stay self-controlled. How about the next thing? Live upright. Not down and dirty. How many are tired of down and dirty living? How many are tired of seeing the culture live down and dirty? You want to live upright? You can do it. You and I can do it today. You know what accountability is? Accountability is just helping each other know whenever you're getting down and dirty. You hear me cuss, tell me to stop cussing somebody, right? If you heard me cussing, wouldn't you say like, Pastor, you don't have to do that. So if I hear you cussing, can I say you don't have to do that? I'm not kicking you out of the church. I'm not putting your name up on the I cussed board and we're all going to pray for you tomorrow. Make it public. I'm just saying you don't have to do that. 
If you're going through marriage problems, and I'm saying to you, y'all can get that worked on. God can change you. I mean, is God big enough to fix marriages? If you're sitting here today with anything that's down and dirty, the opposite of upright, is God able to do it in your life? And how about live godly? See, this is the thing that, going back to the introduction, doesn't even make any sense to me. How can I be Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde and reflect God? Godly means godly. I'm like God. Is God Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde? The Bible says, for we are Christ to this world. We are the representation of Christ to this world. For so as was he, so are we in this world. So are we in this world. Turn with me quickly to 1 John. Vinny, would you come please and help me in this thing because I'm having trouble. 1 John 4, 17. Lord, give me self-control. 1 John 4, 17. This is how love is made complete among us. How is love made complete among us? Everybody say, how is it made, Pastor? It's made complete among us because in this world, we are like Jesus. Love, come on somebody, can I just encourage somebody today? Love is made complete in you. I just got to stay a little sassy. Can I stay sassy before we close? I'm tired of people talking about how broken they are and thinking that's a godly attribute. I'm just so broken. I'm so broken. God loves it. No, God wants to break off stuff off of you so you can be complete. I'm just broken. All Stop being broken. And, and then people are like, well, God won't despise a broken and contrite heart. Yeah, that's another word for humility. But what you're talking about is another word for stupidity. God just, God, I'm just so sinful. Oh, I'm so dirty. And when I come and tell you how broken I am, it's so beautiful. How many more times do you need to get broken before stuff gets broke off you? Get sin broke off you. Get pride broke off you. Get it broke off. Get it broke off me, Jesus. I'm your handiwork, created to do good works. I want it broke off. I want to live this way. If you've ever been around boats, you can be around a million-dollar boat, $10 million boat. Look at the next cruise boat you go on, and you'll see barnacles right there on the side. See, in your perfect salvation, you can carry burdens that were never meant to be carried. God's saying, let me break that chunk off. You were never meant to carry this. This is how I made you, free, pristine. Let's go back to the notes, por favor. I'm happy. Are you happy you're free? Hallelujah. Grace appeared through Christ. It teaches us. To say no to ungodliness, live self-controlled lives as we what? As we wait for the coming of Jesus Christ. We're waiting for him. Are we waiting for him all busted and disgusted? Like Mephibosheth all jacked up. Come get me, David. Come get me. I'm on meth. Bring me to the king's palace. I'll sit here and eat. Some of y'all don't even know about Mephibosheth in the Bible. Are we a bunch of Mephibosheths? I love handicapped people. But anybody that's handicapped, if you gave them a choice, do you want to be handicapped anymore? They would say, no, I don't want to be handicapped. Man, Lord, heal me. Lord, save me. But we got people making themselves handicapped. That is a disgrace to the body of Christ. You're not supposed to be all limp, uh, like this is me, I'm the body of Christ. What's wrong with you then? Why are you like this? You're supposed to be healthy and whole. If your arm is messed up, you want it healthy and whole. There's a story in the Bible about Mephibosheth, this, this, this broke-up dude who's left, and it's a, it's a story of compassion, like God loves Mephibosheth. I get that. You ever seen 300? You ever seen the guy coming along? Can I be in the battle too with you guys? And, and we're like, no, you can't, you can't stand where the men stand, son. You can pick up the dead after the battle. I want to ask you, do you want to be that dude, gentlemen? Is that the dude you want to be? Or do you want, have I gone too far? I've gone way too silly on this. Your face reaction says it all. But how many want to be warriors for Christ? That's what we're supposed to be. I'm waiting for Jesus with the sword of the Spirit, the sword of the Spirit in my hand, standing free from the devil. You see sin in me, let's get it out. Let's live holy. Let's all live holy. Bam. I'm perfected in Christ. And I want to whoop the devil. Oh, man, I get so excited. Grace for purity and good works. Just as Ephesians says we are God's workmanship, it says this is the plan of God. 
He gave himself to redeem us from all, uh, from all wickedness to purify for himself a people that are his very own. Watch. Here's the conclusion. When Jesus, the personification of grace, lives in us, we become people of grace, purified from all wickedness, able to do the work of Christ. So let me ask you, are you a person of grace? Have you been purified? And are you representing Christ in this world? Let's just be honest right now. If there are sins in your life, know right now that that needs to go. And now, today, for the rest of us who say, okay, I, I, I purified myself last night when I went to bed. I haven't sinned since coming to church unless I argue with my wife on the way here or kick the dog on the way out. I mean, how many know you can live free from sin, right? Like sin is not like an accident. Sin is something you know you did. You know you did it, you know? Like sin is like, oh, what did I just do? No, you know you sinned. And if and honestly, I just want to be real honest. If you don't know that you're sinning, you don't know God yet because God says he'll speak to you. So get really born again, and you'll really know what holiness is like, right? Okay, so let's, let's just play this out right now. If you have sin that you're committing in your life, confess it, repent of it, get cleansed. Get to your default place. Get to your default. Does everybody understand what I mean by that? Now for all of us, start right now and say, what's the good work I'm supposed to do? Ask God where you and I are supposed to grow in this. Our life is not perfect and complete. Our spirit and soul is. But the life we live is messy. And we don't always do it right. So we're asking God for our perfection to do the good work. And if we mess up doing the good work, to purify us again. So I need three things right here. I need to be a good dad, don't I? But God has given me the perfect ability to be a good dad. I don't need you or any book to teach me how to do it. I have the Holy Spirit. The book of 1 John says you need no one to teach you. The anointing teaches you all things. Here is the innate ability of Christ in you. This is the relationship. You have what it takes. Fathers, it's already in you. So now as you study and pray, you live it out. And so if I am harsh with my child, I then repent. Second thing. Husband and wife. I need to be the husband that God called me to be. God has given me every resource and ability for me to treat her as Christ does the church. Isn't that what he told me to do? He said, love her as Christ does the church, right? Is that the son? He said, hey, try to do it every now and then. But the rest of the time, act like Ted Bunny. Act like whoever jerk on TV you've seen. You know what I'm talking about. You know, is that what, I, you know, it says, no, that's, I'm always supposed to do that. Does everybody get that? I'm always supposed to do that. She's always, always, everybody say always. She's always supposed to submit to me as Christ does the church. I'm always supposed to love her. She's always supposed to submit, always. Anytime that's wrong, Lord, teach me to say I'm sorry. And to make it right to go back, I'm scoring points, that's right, making deposits, so I can make withdrawals, you know how it is, baby. You gotta know, you gotta know how to play it. Make deposits throughout the day, guys, so you can make a withdrawal. And third, and third, I need help being your pastor. I am not perfect in pastoring you, I get that, that's a half truth though, but I have been perfected in Christ to pastor you. I don't always pastor perfectly, though. But don't you want me to aim for the goal that Christ set before me, which is another scripture? This is what I look forward to, is the perfection. Uh, do, you, do, you know, do you want me to use the excuse to you, nobody's perfect? Like, sometimes you guys do that to me, like, hey, pastor, I know we were supposed to go and hang out. I forgot to call you, but hey, you know nobody's perfect. God loves me. Okay, so, so what if I just took some money out the offering, went out and bought myself a new boat this weekend and just told y'all, hey, ain't nobody perfect. I just happened to go out and buy a boat this weekend with your offerings. We're not going to have electricity or air conditioning for the next couple of months, but hey, ain't nobody perfect. I'm just working on me. You working on you. You do you, I do me. We be all right. Let's all stand up and give Jesus a hand clap because that's a lie. Come on, somebody say thank you for grace. Somebody say it's all about that grace. Amen. Now you all understand grace up in the place. Altar workers come. Band come. We're going to leave out here on fire for Jesus.
Let us pray. Father, help us to live through your grace as people of grace. Let us be people of grace in our families, our homes, our communities, our jobs. Just because you've perfected me doesn't mean I know everything. I still have to learn how to work and get along with others. That is what you're doing in me. But I am not going to make the excuse that nobody's perfect. I won't make the excuse that I'm still half sinner and half saint whenever I mess up. I will stand in your righteousness and walk the path that you set before me. Is anybody else wanting to do that? Just say it in your own words, please, in your own words. I'm, I'm just excited to pray right now. I feel grace in this place. I feel that I can achieve anything. I feel that whatever God told me to do, I can do it. I feel I don't have to ever go to bed angry with my wife. I feel that I can always be quick to repent to my kids when I mess up. Does anybody else feel that? That's, that's the word bringing faith into your heart today. You were saved. You were made a new creation. We already preached the gospel here during communion, but if that has not happened to you or you have backslid, you have walked away from that, would you please come today as we pray and say, I really want to get born again. I want to give that a try. I want stuff broke off me. I want to get set free. And even if you're a Christian, but you know you haven't been living the way you should, come up as well. Get stuff broken off of you. Get perversion broke off you. You know, there are things I can say I've never done again. Glory to God. I've already seen perfection work its way in holiness in my life. I haven't looked at pornography by God's grace since 96. Haven't cussed since 96. I mean, there's just some things that God breaks off and keeps off, and you never have to go back again. There may be other things I'm working on, but I'm still believing the same way I got those other things broke off. There's going to be a day, there's going to be a time in my life where I'll never mistreat my wife again. I can believe that. doesn't mean we won't argue, won't disagree, but it doesn't mean I ever have to treat her a certain way. You may say, that's so hard. Well, let me ask you a question. Do you beat your wife? So if you've already got to the point where you don't beat your wife, can't you get to the point where you don't scream at your wife? Hello, men. Come on. Well, nobody perfect. Sometimes I got to yell at her. No, you don't. You don't ever have to do that. I want to be able to mark in my calendar, this was the last day I ever yelled at my wife like that. This was the last day. I never did it again. See, how much more of sin do you need before you realize sin is not for you? Purify me, Jesus. Keep me clean, oh God. This is my dad always taught me. Guard my heart and protect my testimony, Jesus. Keep us pure. Keep us holy. Keep us. See, listen to these words of the Bible. Keep us holding on to faith, God. Keep us fighting the good fight. May we walk worthy of our calling, Jesus. May we take off those things of our old sinful self and put on those new, new righteous things. See, that's all the biblical language. May we set our minds on things above where Christ is. See, I'm setting my mind up there. Lord, do it. Do it because you said you would, not just because a preacher got happy this morning. Do it because your word said you would do it. And do it in a way that's so real that we don't fall into either ditches. We don't try to explain it by being half sinner and half saint. And we don't try to explain it like we're always having to get born again, again, and again. And there's never this sense of security in you. Let's live it out in joy and freedom and peace and happiness. Because you said the kingdom of God, which we're born again to. You said we no one sees the kingdom of God unless they're born again. So all those born again, we see the kingdom of God. So what is it like, Jesus? Is the kingdom of God legalism and strictness and condemnation? No, you said the kingdom of God. His righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Because that's who you are. You're in the kingdom. And you're righteous. And you're the prince of peace. And you're the fullness of joy. And it's your grace that brings us there and that keeps us there. Right now, we leave from this place. Before we go, we're going to leave from this place in the kingdom of God, with the grace of God, being people of grace. If you believe that, would you say amen and give them one more hand clap of praise. Come on. Amen. Say it's all about the grace. Slap your neighbor high five and, and say it's all about grace up in your face. God bless you. Have a great day. Come up for prayer if you need some. Let this weekend be your weekend of freedom. God bless you.
that again. Your love is extravagant. Come up and receive prayer if you would like to today. For anything, let us pray for you. God bless you as you go. Enjoy your weekend. Move with the rhythm today. We're moving with grace. 